before we really begin the sermon, I just wanted to stop and say thank you um, for all of your cards and gifts um, to Brianna and I last Sunday. I, a number of you, you know, commented and said, you know, you appreciate me all the time, but just wanted to show it. Um, and I just wanted to, to make sure you hear, too, that I, I appreciate being your pastor all the time, um, but I just wanted you to hear it. Um, it really is a profound blessing and a really, I think, a privilege um, to get to be one of your pastors. So thank you. Um, now, our passage this morning, it's in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, and it is all about obedience. Now, with two little ones in our house, we talk about obedience a lot, as you can imagine. And there's a phrase I often hear from almost four-year-old Calvin. I usually hear it through exasperated tears when I've asked him to clean up his toys or a mess that he's made. And he'll cry and just say, it's hard, Daddy. Because it really is hard to obey when you're four. And it might be hard when you're four, but it's also hard for us as adults to obey too, isn't it? Even as Christians, we know and we believe that we should obey Jesus at all times and all things, but it's hard. It's hard because of the sin outside of us and our culture and our environments, and it's hard because of the sin inside of us and our hearts and in our sinful natures. It's just plain hard to obey Jesus. Our passage this morning, it's here to give us some wisdom and some encouragement on how we can obey even when it's hard. And so our passage this morning, it's actually one of these kind of sandwich passages where the meat of the passage is right there in the middle. I talked about this a little bit in our um, sermon preview that we put on Facebook. But so what we're going to do, just to give you ahead of time, we're going to tackle the first nine verses, and then we're going to skip ahead to 14, and then we're going to tackle the end of the passage, and then we'll conclude by looking right there kind of in the middle so there's a lot of passages in Scripture, especially in the Gospels, that do this. But so that's how we're going we're gonna to go through this, and we're going to read the whole chapter. Um, this is our habit, because we believe this is God's Word, and we gather not to hear pastors talk, but to hear God and His Word speak and what He has to say. Um, so if you are able, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go out from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of a king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who have given to it. All this I observed while applying to my heart all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw that the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place, and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. 
Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. There are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. I commend joy for man is nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied to my heart to know wisdom and see the business that is done on earth, neither, neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking it, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that you would be here this morning. I ask that your word would not return void and that it would do its work. I ask that your word would come into our ears and that we would hear it. I ask that your word would enter into our hearts, that we would love it, that it would enter into our hands, that we do it, and enter into our feet, that we walk in it. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. Our, our first point, if you are taking notes in your bulletin, is that we need to obey God even when you have no control. We need to obey even when you have no control. Ultimately, wisdom is about obedience. Okay, wisdom is not just about knowing the right answers to trivia questions. It's about knowing the righteous and the obedient action in every single situation, no matter how complicated it gets. In verse 1, it tells us who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of the thing. A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. So it's all about how the wise know how to interpret every situation. And their face is shining even when life is hard because they know what to do. Problem is it's not always easy to obey God. Okay, even if we might not be that wise, but even when we do know what the right thing is to do, even when we understand why we have to do it, the circumstances can sometimes make it difficult for us to follow through. Example, our present circumstances. How are we supposed to obey God even when the world seems to hate Him? How can we obey when everybody is just so angry and divided? How can we obey when there are Christians who want to pretend to be Christians but don't seem that interested in actually following Jesus? How can we obey when Christians just abandon doctrine for money and power or influence? How can we obey even when it seems like those in power oppose the gospel? When it, what do we do when everything seems out of control? Solomon tells us we should obey. When you aren't in charge, when you aren't in control, we should obey. Specifically, he tells us in verse 2 that we are submit to the authorities above us. Verse 2, he says, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Now, this reference to God's oath there might seem unclear at first. I think this is a reference to God's faithfulness to Israel's kings. It's a reminder to Israel that God chose their kings. They didn't vote. God chose Saul. God chose David and all the kings after them. And the kings are under God's authority. And every king will answer to God for their, all of their actions and all of their decrees. But Israel's under the king. Okay, and they obey the king, not because he's the king, 
but because God is the king of kings. Now, the United States, we're not God's chosen nation or his chosen people. We don't have any kings. God's made no special promises to our leader or to our nation. However, as Jesus told Herod, all leaders on earth are appointed by God. We don't always know his reasons. We often don't like his decisions. We are completely out of control in most of our circumstances. But God commands us to obey, to submit to the authorities that are over us, whether it's our elected officials or courts, local, state, federal. We don't obey because it's the law. We don't obey because we don't have a choice. We obey because we love Jesus. We obey and we submit. We follow the laws of the land as long as they don't cause us to sin out of obedience to Jesus because of God's oath. But there's plenty of times we don't like those decrees or laws, aren't there? Okay, most of the time, it's, it's not that the laws are causing us to sin. We just, we don't like them. We would have done something different. But God tells us to submit, to obey the king because of God. Okay, the apostles, they were often beaten, imprisoned, even killed by evil rulers. And they faced all of those often with joy, without complaint. Not because they loved the rulers or thought they were such good decrees, but because of God's oath. Because they submitted to God. But what about us? What do we do when we don't like it? What should we do? Well, verse 3 kind of is explicitly talking about when the king commands something you don't like. When he passes a bad decree and makes a bad law. Verse 3, do not be hasty to go from his presence. Don't take your stand in the evil cause, for he does what he pleases. So at first it says, don't be hasty to go out of his presence. It means don't storm out of the room stomping your feet. Don't run out crying like a toddler because you did not get your way and you're upset. Now we might not act like a toddler, but we might leave the room quickly. So we can go and tell everyone else how bad what just happened was. We get on the phone so we can call someone to let them know we are often a little too hasty. Second half of the verse, it can seem a little confusing, you know, don't take your stand in an evil cause. Now, an evil cause here, it doesn't just mean a morally or a sinful cause. Okay, so this Hebrew word for evil throughout the chapter especially has a little bit of a broader meaning. Your translation, it may say, don't stand up for a bad cause. Or it might say, don't delay when the matter is unpleasant. Contextually, when you look at it in, in this description, it seems like it's saying, hey, when the king's decided against your idea, um, don't keep arguing. He's going to do what he's going to do. Your voice will not change it. He does whatever he pleases. Verse 4, for the word of the king is supreme. Who can say to him, what are you doing? Okay, has anyone in here ever changed a president's mind on something? Okay, you posted something on Facebook or maybe you wrote in a letter and you said, what are you doing? I think this is dumb. Did, did that ever work? Okay, did you ever get a phone call and say, you know what, you're right, thank you. You, you changed my mind. No. Why? Because we're not in control. And it frustrates us. We're not always supreme in the land. We're not always the boss. We don't, get, we don't get to control these things. But we do control whether or not we are going to be obedient to God. Even when we're not in control. Verse 5, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise will know the proper time and the just way. We obey anyway because God will see it and God rewards it. And it's a reminder that obedience, it requires the right action at the right time in the right way. Some of us might think, well, obedience is just is always doing the right thing. But wisdom understands it's more than that. Okay, doing the right thing, you do it in the wrong way, 
It's not the right thing anymore. It's wrong. When you do the right thing at the wrong time, well, now it's, it's wrong. Obedience requires we do the right thing at the proper time in the just way. Right? As an example, okay, it's right and it's just to remind other Christians about the truths of Scripture and to encourage them with doctrine, right? Okay, but when someone loses a loved one, that's probably not the time to say, well, God's in control. Don't worry. It's probably just time to weep. Because obedience isn't just doing the right thing, it's doing it the right thing at the right time in the right way. And wisdom's knowing, even in that example, well, this might be the good circumstance to do that. Ooh, this might not be the good circumstance to do that. Wisdom knows the difference. Verse 6, for there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what will be or for who can tell him how it will be. Okay, it's hard for us to do that always. Even when we do the right thing, and even if we do it the right thing, the right way, at the right time, it doesn't mean it's going to end well. Might get punished. Might be mocked for it. But obedience obeys even when we don't control the outcome of how this is going to go. Verse 8, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. He moves on a little bit just from the example of submitting to authority to show us, and you don't have control over anything in life. We don't have control over the wind. We don't control when people die. We don't control when wars begin and when they end. We can't stop people from making sinful, wicked choices. We're completely powerless over much of our life. And so much of our sin really is just attempts to gain back that power. We mistreat, we abuse others out of attempts to control them. We sin and we chase idols because they think that these will give us some control over our life too. Verse 9, all this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power for man to his hurt. We have power, we, we abuse it and hurt others. But what true obedience is, when we obey anyway, even when we don't have control, it's a way to express our trust and our belief and our faith in God's control and His providence. We obey even when our world and even if our lives are out of control. And we obey God even when we aren't in control as an act of faith. This is especially difficult, not just because we're out, we don't have control, because we often don't really know what God's doing, do we? Point number two in your bulletins is that we need to obey even when you don't understand. We need to obey when you don't, even when you don't understand. There's so much about God that we don't understand. Most of the time we don't understand what he's doing here and now in these moments. Right? We, we don't understand his plan for the world. Maybe we understand the big picture, but we don't understand how this choice here factors into that. Our greatest frustration often is this. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Verse 14, there's a vanity that takes place on the earth. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. There are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. This, I said, is a vanity. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And it's something we don't understand and we know it. Okay, or I see it. We don't just read about it in news stories or in articles. We've seen it in our own families. We've felt it in our own bodies. 
We've seen wicked things happen to righteous people. We see children abused and murdered. We see the godly get cancer. We see the righteous and honest lose their businesses because they wouldn't compromise. And it's hard for us, not just to stomach, but it's hard for us to experience. Because it's not just that bad things happen to good people, because if bad things happen to everybody, we could deal with that, right? We could say, well, that's just life. Bad things happen. But often, really good things happen to bad people too. The lazy employee who politics and backstabs gets promoted. They climb the company ladder. The team that cheats and breaks all the rules gets to win the game. Person who never exercises, never watches what they eat, maybe they do lots of drugs, abuse their body with whatever they want, they live to be 100 with no health problems while you suffer chronic pain. We could spend hours, okay? We could just go around the room, raise your hand. Have you seen good things happen to bad people? And we could all share all the things that we've seen under the sun. We've all seen this happen and we scratch our heads and we scream into the void. We've complained, we lament to God because we don't understand. Well, Solomon didn't understand either. Okay, he applied all of his brain power to try and figure this out. Why does this happen? Verse 16, I applied my heart to know wisdom, to see the business that is done on the earth, how neither day or night do one's eyes sleep. So he devotes himself to getting more wisdom. He's trying to understand, why does God let this happen? And it seems like he's staying up all night trying to work on this. He's like a college student studying for an exam. He's pulling some all-nighters to see if he can crack this mystery. And what's the result? That the wisest man who ever lived, putting all of his effort day and night and trying to understand one problem, why does God do what he does? Why does God allow this to happen? And the result is just crushing disappointment. 17, I found, saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much a man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he, won't, he cannot find it out. He realizes man can't figure this one out. We are all incapable of understanding. No matter how much we toil and work at it, you won't. Remember Solomon, he's the wisest man who ever lived. Wisdom not just gained from reading a lot of books, but divine wisdom given to him from God. And he's saying he couldn't figure it out. But that doesn't stop us from trying, does it? Because it bothers us. And there's, there are a lot of good explanations even, right? Every human being, including every Christian since the days of Ecclesiastes, we wrestle with this question. And there's plenty of theologians and pastors or good Christian writers who do their best to give us some good answers. The reality is even if we get some of those answers and they help us sleep at night, they help us understand maybe a little bit so now we can trust that God still is good and He's powerful, we still don't fully understand, do we? A wise man, you might find one of these, maybe they claim to know it but they can't find it out. You might find someone who tells you they can solve the problem. They understand all of it. Just trust them. They know exactly why God allows what He allows. They're lying. They don't really know either. You see this anytime there's a national tragedy in the world. Many of these wise men pop up real quick to tell you they know exactly why God let this particular thing happen where He did. Or when you're suffering, you find evil on your door, you'll find some well-meaning Christian might come to you and they'll tell you exactly why they think God won't allow you to conceive or why he gave you cancer or why you were abused or why they think God let your loved one die. Wise man claims to know, but he can't find out. We can't understand. 
And if thinking about this, if wrestling with these things bothers you because you can't get it, you can't understand, you're in good company. Come and join the rest of us. But how do we respond? What are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to obey. We obey God anyway. We obey Him even when we don't understand Him. We, we don't decide, well, following Jesus isn't worth it because bad things might happen to me. We say, God, I don't understand anything that's happening in my life right now. Say, God, I don't understand why you're not fixing this. God, I don't understand why you're allowing this to happen. I just don't understand anything, but I love you, and okay, I'm going to obey you anyway, even if I don't get it. And I pray one of my favorite prayers in the New Testament, Lord, help my unbelief. Verse 15, and I commend joy, for man has nothing better to do under the sun, but eat and drink and be joyful. This will go well with him and his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. This is why, he, again, he gives us this repeated command in verse 15. This isn't the last time we'll hear this refrain again. But the command is to enjoy the days that we have. In fact, here he commends joy to us. Contextually, there's not a lot of joyful stuff happening that he just talked about. But we're to obey even when we don't understand and to do so with joy. To obey every day, not just the days that we do understand. Not just the days that are easy, but to obey on the days that are hard. To obey on the days that we just want to say, why? See, this young children, Grant just turned two, so he's now entered the why stage. Much earlier than I wanted. Okay, it's every time I ask him to do something, he looks up at me with his very serious face and his furrowed brows, and he says, why, Daddy? Because he doesn't understand. Why would I tell him that he can't run away from me in the busy parking lot? Why would I tell him he can't put his fingers in that electrical outlet? Why am I telling him I don't want him to eat that dirty rock? Okay, and Brian and I, we, we try to have patience. Okay, we often, we do good, and we, we do our best to explain it to him in a way that he can understand. Well, son, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to have to go to the hospital. I don't want you to get hit by a car. That's why you can't run. But still, despite our best efforts, he doesn't understand. He just keeps looking at me. Well, why? And it's a natural human question. There's nothing wrong with him wanting to understand. Okay? It's a human desire. But sometimes I've got to look at him and say, son, you don't have to understand right now, but you do have to obey me. Okay, he doesn't need to understand all the intricacies of danger and death. He doesn't need to understand how precarious his fate is in the world without my guiding hand at every moment. He just needs to know that I'm his dad and that I love him. And I'm asking him to obey me, not because I'm trying to ruin his life, but because I want to protect him and out of love for him. He doesn't understand me now, but one day he will. Okay, Christian, just like... My toddler doesn't understand me. We don't understand why God allows what he does. We don't understand why God says no. We don't understand why pain enters into our lives. And it's okay that we don't understand. And it's okay that we look at it and we ask why. It's not wrong to do so. But the reality is we don't need to understand because we won't always understand, but we do need to obey. Because one day, when our Father invites us home, then we will understand. 
So we should obey, obey even when we're not in control. We should obey even when we do not understand, but why? And maybe you still just why? Why should we obey? Well, we should obey God because it will be worth it. We should obey because it will be worth it. Problem is, it doesn't always feel worth it, does it here? Verse 10, backing up to kind of the middle of the meat of this, he says, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place. They were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. It often doesn't feel worth it to obey Jesus because those who are evil are getting praised. Even before they die, they get to experience this praise and adulation. The cities that they've done this wickedness in celebrate them and clap. They hold moments of silence and write glowing obituaries in their honor. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. It's an understatement. And the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil, though sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. Okay, even when their hearts are fully set on evil and wickedness, even when people want nothing to do with God, when they boldly blaspheme against Him, when they mock Him, when they spit in His face like Roman soldiers, even then, God often withholds His judgment. And we wonder, is it really worth it? It seems like they're getting away with it. But it is worth it. Christian, obeying Jesus and following Jesus is always worth it. Why? Because it will be well with those who fear God. Verse 13, it's the warning. But it will not be well with the wicked. Nor will they prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. It might not seem like it's worth it right now. It might seem like it's worth it to lie and to cheat and to steal. To engage in whatever kind of wickedness you want. But it will not be well with the wicked. Because Jesus is coming back. Jesus will return. When he does, he is going to set up that kingdom. And Revelation 20 tells us that one day all of the wicked and all of the living and the righteous and all of the dead will march in front of that great white throne of God. And then the judgments will come. And those who blasphemed against God will hear him speak. Those who spit in his face and said prophesy will hear their future foretold. Those who said they didn't think God was real will see him in all of his glory and might. It will not be well with the wicked. Disobedience is not worth it. And those who do not fear God now are going to fear him when they stand in that line when they stand before his throne and see him. Verse 12, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Here's the good news. The good news is that it will be well for those who fear God. That those who obey God will be rewarded. Those who put their hope and their faith in Jesus Christ, it will be well with their souls. I don't want you to get it twisted. We've talked a lot about obedience this morning. 
want you to think again or that obedience is what gets us into heaven. Obedience isn't what gives us salvation. The gospel isn't obey Jesus enough and then you'll be saved. No, the gospel is believe in Jesus. And salvation only comes through faith. And salvation only becomes of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. But, once we've received that salvation, it doesn't mean, okay, now do whatever you want. You're good. No, because we've been saved, now we obey. We obey out of love. We obey not to earn our salvation, but it's an expression of faith. And every act of obedience, it reveals it. Every act of obedience, it's not a dreary duty, but it is an act of hope in a hopeless world. It is faith that Jesus is real. And each act is a moment of declaring that following Jesus is worth it, even if it doesn't seem like it right now. Because you see, our, our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. Right, we've gone through Ecclesiastes. We've talked a lot about death the last several weeks. And we're going to talk about death a few weeks more until we finish. I don't know if I've talked about resurrection enough. Christian, our obedience to Jesus in faith will be worth it because you are going to live again. This life is not all that there is. There are other worlds than these and the world that Jesus is bringing when he returns is amazing. The dust of our bodies will be re-knit and remade into glorified bodies. And every act of obedience is almost a deposit in resurrection life and in the life to come. Because what we do here matters. And it matters not just because one day we will die and we will stand before his throne in judgment, but because one day we will die and then we will live again. So we should obey, beloved, because it's worth it. We should give our life to Jesus because it will be worth it. And maybe you might say, well, well Pastor, I want to have hope, but my faith is pretty weak. My obedience is a little wishy-washy. Listen, you aren't saved by the greatness of your faith, but by the greatness of the one that you put your faith in. And the least of all believers, with the smallest hope, the least obedience, is going to get the same resurrection as the apostles, as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll get to participate in the resurrection of Jesus when he returns. Because our hope is in Jesus. So, beloved, do not look to this life to evaluate if following Jesus is worth it. Don't look at your circumstances. And don't be discouraged even when suffering and even when death comes and knocks on your door. Place your hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That all of us can get a taste of through faith. And this is our hope. This is our hope as followers of Jesus. That all of our obedience. That all of our faith. That every single moment of repentance. That when we obey, even when it's hard, at every single moment... That each moment we obey, even when we don't understand what God is doing. 
That even when it feels like our faith is hanging on by a thread and we're just holding on to Jesus with every fiber of our being, our hope is that all of those moments in following Jesus will be worth it. We don't follow him and we don't obey because we think it's going to give us our best life now. And that everything will always work out if I just do the right thing. We give our lives to Jesus alongside all of our brothers and sisters in the faith through the centuries and thousands of years behind us. Some of whom shed their blood and who gave their very lives to the cause of Christ. We follow in their footsteps, holding on to the same hope, obeying God because we believe it will be worth it. So, summary where we've we been. Well, we obey. We obey God even when we don't have any control. We obey when we don't understand. We obey even when it's hard. Because when you see Jesus' face, after you close your eyes for the last time, when you see his face, when you open them again, Every small, meager moment that you trusted him will be worth it. And beloved, we are closer to resurrection today than when we have ever been. And tomorrow we'll get one day closer. So put your hope not in the days that are here or in the days of the past, but in that day that is to come. Invite our worship team to come up as I close us in, in prayer. Lord, I ask. I ask that you would help us because, Lord, it's hard. It's hard to follow you. It's hard to follow you in the big things and it's hard to follow you in little things when somebody says something rude to us. When we lose our temper. When we get frustrated. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and would fill us. Lord, that we would obey you in every moment of our lives, beginning with the small, tiny moments. And Lord, would you encourage our faith and our hope? Would we see that those moments that we, we, we just hold our tongue, we wanted to say something. The moments when we spoke up and told someone about Jesus, even if they didn't listen, that every single moment of ordinary obedience matters. And it matters because of you. It matters because of your death on the cross and your resurrection out of that empty tomb. Lord, help us to live with hope that we obey not out of dreary sense of duty, not out of a false attempt to earn salvation, but we obey because we love you and we obey in faith and in hope. Because we believe that following you, Jesus, is worth it. You are worth our very lives. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we worship our Savior together one last time in song. Amen. Heaven did come down, and one day it's going to come down again. And that's our hope. Here's benediction from the end of Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good, 
that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.